Welcome to BSD Talk, number 260. It's December 20, 2015. I wanted to start with a little look back in time, because it was December 20, 2005 that I started this podcast. So it's been a decade of BSD Talk. So let me flip this switch here, turn this dial, and fire up the time machine. It's Tuesday, December 20th, 2005, and tonight we're going to talk about BSD. Who knows? Hopefully we'll talk about BSD uh, many more times to come. So here we are back in the time of episode one. It's 2005, and what's been going on around this time? Well, the beta of PCBSD had just come out in April of 2005, but the first release, 1.0, wouldn't come out until April 2006. FreeBSD 6 had just been released in November, along with OpenBSD 3.8, and uh, NetBSD 3.0 was also out in December. Believe it or not, Dragonfly BSD 1.4 didn't come out until January 2006, and Hammer wasn't even on the scene until 2008. In fact, uh, 2005 was the year YouTube was founded. It wasn't until the middle of 2005 that the first videos were uploaded. 2005 was also a leap second year, so we all know how much fun that can be with our computing systems. And of note, in January 2006, just a few short weeks after my first episode, the New Horizon mission was launched by NASA toward Pluto. And just now, are we starting to see the fruits of that very long journey? All right, well, I guess it's back into the time machine and to the present. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Robert Watson and George Neville Neal. Welcome back to BSD Talk. Hi there. Great to be here. Thanks, Will. And one of the reasons... I guess to talk to you, or the primary reason here, is something that both of you have put together called Teach BSD. So I guess without asking you to read the contents of the teachbsd.org website, maybe one of you could describe roughly what this project is about. So a a few years ago, we realized here at Cambridge that we didn't have a practical hands-on operating system course, and especially not an operating system course taught in our master's program. And uh, George and I thought it would be quite interesting um, to see, to kind of test a couple of hypotheses. One of these is that we could use real-world operating systems in teaching OS courses for research, um, which is usually avoided. Normally, when people teach operating systems, they work with sort of toy operating systems within simulators, and you build up the low-level parts of an operating system, or you work with you know, a toy microkernel when you build up components on top. And this is really a great way to teach undergraduates about operating systems because they learn the fundamental principles and also, you know, of necessity, a bit about the hard bits. But the hard bits are kind of in a managed quantity. Uh, There's not too much suffering. Um, And this is good, but it's not quite what we're looking for. We're looking to produce, uh, you know, students who come out of the project with strong research skills and systems research, so experience analyzing and measuring operating systems, and also to have them work with 
real-world artifacts, so things as complicated as the FreeBSD operating system rather than tiny microkernels. Um, we also wanted them to come out with you know, a set of scientific skills, you know, the ability to write up uh, sort of scientific analysis of a systems change that they're proposing, and we want them to be exposed to original research. And so um, over the last couple of years, we collaborated on two different projects, sort of sub-projects. Uh, one of these was trying to produce an operating system course that we could use in Cambridge in our master's program based on those principles. And the second was uh, coming up with an industrial training version which focuses on similar principles. And one of the early design choices in the course is to use uh, tracing and performance analysis tools. So we want to uh, set up the system as a, you know, a, an artifact that we want to analyze, observe, and then perhaps uh, go on and modify and explore in various ways. And so one of the great features, of course, available in recent versions of FreeBSD uh, is Dtrace. So Dtrace is this uh, Sun-originated, Solaris-originated tracing and instrumentation tool that allows us to uh, analyze uh, both the implementation of an operating system, uh, so Dtrace allows you to hook arbitrary functions in the kernel, um, but also uh, the interfaces in the operating system, controlled instrumentation points provided by the developers, such as you know, network stack events or scheduling events and so on. And it's used um, to write monitoring tools, but also it's a, a tool you can work with directly. And this has proven to be a pretty useful foundation. So the two courses are both based on Dtrace, and we ask students or professionals who are being trained uh, to analyze FreeBSD through sets of case studies um, using Dtrace. And this allows them, it's, it's quite a neat thing, that it allows them to understand and explore these low-level artifacts without accruing some of the risk that normally happens in an operating system course. You know, we would like them to have controlled exposure to the complexity that is a real-world operating system uh, rather than just you know, uh, hack on kernel modules and continuously crash the system for weeks and, and feel like it's not a productive thing to do. And of course, you know, one of the big benefits is they come out trained to use tools like Dtrace, uh, which is going to make them much more productive as system administrators or developers uh, at companies. So I just wanted to follow on to what Robert said and uh, talk a bit about the practitioner side of the course. One of the other reasons that we developed the courseware was because we're constantly being asked by companies and other groups if there's any sort of training for developers on FreeBSD. And there have been training courses over the years. Kirk McCusick teaches a 15-week intensive course at UC Berkeley Extension and has also taught that at, um, uh, taught a five-day version of that at various companies. But, you know, we wanted to have something that could be taught in possibly two days, uh, which we've now done. That was actually taught last year at AsiaBSDCon, and I'm now proposing it for various different uh, BSD events. And we wanted to have something that we could go to groups of uh, practitioners, people who are already working in the field, and you know, give them an operating systems course where they would be able to get hands-on experience in you know, two days or five days, which is something that uh, you really do not see in the industry at all. Most courses on operating systems for people who are postgraduates who've already left school are you know, reading courses or courses that don't really go in depth into the operating system. They you know, you read the book or you read the papers, but you don't actually spend a lot of time trying to figure out how things work. And again, that's where using Dtrace and tracing uh, really worked well for us. And, and you mentioned a book. Uh, according to the teachbsd.org website, there is a suggested resource to go along with the course materials. In the academic version of the course, uh, we're kind of working from a couple of different books. Uh, we're using the FreeBSD Design and Implementation book, which Kirk, George, and I brought out, I guess, at this point, a couple of years ago. Uh, so this is not your first book on operating systems. This is a book on operating systems for someone who 
understands some of the basics and principles and is now looking for how it plays out in a real implementation. So at least as part of the academic course, we assign weekly readings from that book uh, looking at key parts of the operating system, uh, in particular the parts that we're going to have the students analyze, whether it's inter-process communication or the network stack. Um, but we also rely on a couple of other books. Uh, we make use of Brendan Gregg's uh, excellent book uh, on using Dtrace in practice. And students are going to use that as a reference to learn the Dtrace language, but also learn the dynamics of how uh, you engage in analysis of a running operating system. And then uh, fin- finally, uh, we also assign uh, Raj Jain's, Jain's The Art of Computer Systems Performance as kind of our underlying uh, statistics and performance analysis textbook. And of course, that's a book from 1991. It's really you know, a core text in the field. And so we assign that. It would be great to see him update that at some point. And for the practitioner side, we mostly recommend Brendan's Dtrace book. Of course, we'd like them to understand more about the system and we'd like them to use both the FreeBSD book and Raj Shane's book. But if you're going to uh, ask people to use a text for a two or a five day course, then you're probably only going to recommend one. And it's very likely to be the one that's mostly about Dtrace rather than about the deep internals of uh, FreeBSD or about uh, performance analysis and statistics. Right. And part of the point of this is to give them understanding and tools so they can go off and learn about these things in practice. I mean, one of the limitations of having a a static textbook on operating system design is that the OS evolves. Um, It can't go into all the details of the implementation. And there are dynamic behaviors that are quite difficult to describe in writing or that there isn't the space to describe. And a tool like Dtrace will really help students dig in uh, or practitioners dig in to understand how real-world systems behave under load. On the website, you link to a source code repository, which hosts a lot of text files for handouts and resources. So is the, I guess, how is the teachbsd.org website associated with, if at all, with the University of Cambridge? Is this moving towards one of these massive online courseware things, or is this really just a set of resources that is something, something that came out of that courses, those courses but isn't directly tied to the University of Cambridge? So I think we have grand visions, which is to say we'd really love to see more of the world teaching using FreeBSD and also teaching based on the principles that we've been pushing. It's quite an unusual approach, uh, dynamic instrumentation analysis as a way to teach about operating systems. Uh, And I think it's also a very effective approach. It's the second year we've been teaching at Cambridge now using the approach. And it's something that uh, we're actually thinking we'd like to use in other areas as well. For example, when teaching about networking and uh, multi-threaded applications and so on, Uh, definitely an approach I would encourage. Uh, right now, we have two kinds of material on the website. So the first is uh, you know, the reference version or the living version of the material we're using in the Cambridge course. So that's available uh, via GitHub. It includes, as you point out, uh, slides and handouts and so on, uh, the information necessary to set up and run the course, uh, the lab assignments and that kind of thing. Um, but as George will talk about, um, we also have uh, you know, increasingly information on the industrial practitioner version of the course. Um, what we'd love to do is see other people build based on our material, you know, use the material at their own universities or their own companies, and try to create a community around the material. Uh, one of the things that we haven't tried to do in this is create an undergraduate operating system course, which is to say the course that really is my first operating system, and trying to look to some of the academics out there who are already teaching their undergraduate operating systems using FreeBSD um, to contribute back some of their material would be great. Uh, and obviously, we plan to keep extending it. Um, what we have up on the Cambridge site for each year we teach the course is really just a snapshot, if you will, of what we hope will be uh, a long-term project uh, living out of GitHub. Right now, the course, the academic course, is sized uh, for a Cambridge-length term, which is to say about eight weeks. 
Uh, one of the things that we'd like to do is add an additional set of lectures and labs that allow you to extend it out to a 12-week course, which will make it a bit more teachable at other universities. And this is one area where you could expect to see a bit of divergence between the central repository uh, and what other people use. So, and to uh, go in a bit more detail on that, so one of the reasons, of course, to have the material up, as Robert says, is we do have a, a grand vision. We want to see people teaching with the material. Also, uh, for anyone who's ever you know, developed a course at a university or developed a course anywhere, uh, you know that it's a lot of work. And one of the ways to uh, help professors teach this kind of material is to give them the base material to work with. So if you look up on the, the GitHub repo, uh, the repo itself has already been forked uh, 12 times by various people. And the nice thing is we can actually uh, take a look at who those people are, see if their university professors reach out to them, you know, interact with a broader community of collaborators working on both the academic and practitioner class. Uh, Robert actually created a brief talk about our experiences last year that he gave at Cambridge and then I gave at BSDCAN. And I've been taking that talk on the road, so to speak, presenting it at various different universities. I just returned from uh, Chulalongkorn University in Thailand, which is the largest university in Thailand, 35,000 undergraduates, 100 computer science undergraduates per year. And they are quite interested in teaching with this. In fact, uh, one of their professors, uh, who's now semi-retired, had been teaching with DTrace and FreeBSD already, uh, but we didn't know that until we reached out uh, you know, with this material. So... You know, we're really hoping that people will, uh, as the old Abby Hoffman line goes, steal this course. We want them to use the material. The other thing that we've produced in uh, the Teach BSD materials is a teaching guide. This tends to be important for professors who want to use the material. It sort of gives them an idea of what we're trying to do and examples and pointers to, uh, you know, more material, how to get the material, how to set it up to teach. And that teaching guide is uh, both in the teach PSD stuff, but also, um, also within Pearson, who's the publisher of the free BSD book that Kirk, Robert, and myself wrote, uh, is now pushing that material out as well. So they'll hopefully be reaching out to all of the U S universities to try and get them to use the material. And the other thing we're doing right now is actively looking for collaborators to build up the undergraduate courseware. So that's going to be quite a bit of work an undergraduate course, in the United States is 12 to 15 weeks, which is quite a bit of material, and uh, it's going to be an interesting experience. So do you say, at this point at least, the material that you've been producing is geared more toward university professors rather than a self-paced course for students? Well, the practitioner course could certainly be done as a self-paced course at the moment. We haven't had anyone try it that we know of. I mean, the material is out there. They can always build the slides and go through them. I know that we have looked at uh, recording the, the classes, certainly recording the academic classes and also recording the practitioner class uh, as a way of uh, getting material out there in sort of a video format. I think that would be the next step in getting towards a self-paced course where someone could click a link online on YouTube somewhere and be able to, to do the course themselves. 
Yeah, so one of the differences between the current Cambridge version of the course and the practitioner version of the course is the platform that we teach it on. So today at Cambridge, we're using uh, the ARM uh, V7-based PicoBone Blackboard, which is a small embedded board, pretty affordable. And what we do is we provide a FreeBSD-based software image that you stick in on an SD card. You plug it into your notebook or your desktop, uh, and it appears as though it is an Ethernet device and a serial console and so on. So you can log into it, uh, perform your experiments, pull the data off, analyze it in the tool of your choice, and at least in the academic setting, we have students using Python, we have students using R and so on, uh, to do their data analysis and uh, uh, prepare graphs and so on. That's a really useful approach, especially for the material that we're teaching. I need a controlled platform where, in particular, we can predict what the performance results are going to look like so that we can have, if you will, right answers on performance measurements, but also to ensure the students, as they're doing their analysis, learn interesting things. So uh, one of the things we do in the course is teach using uh, performance counters. So we ask students to measure not just sort of architectural software visible costs, but also microarchitectural costs, such as the behavior of caches and uh, page table walking and so on. And this helps them explain the performance characteristics they see. And a beagle bone back is a controlled environment in which to do that. In terms of distributing this to other people, you know, nothing says that people can't just you know, go off and buy BeagleBone Blackboards, you know, maybe in bulk if they're teaching a course, uh, build their own images and get the course up and running and run it. I think if we wanted to provide a more structured online presentation, uh, the first thing we'd want to do is actually start providing those software images on our website. And that's something we'd like very much to do. It's something we haven't yet done. But that would make the course more accessible uh, to people who are working remotely. In George's version of the course for practitioners, he's working off of virtual machines, x86 virtual machines. So the good thing about this is you don't have to buy any special hardware. You can use your existing computer uh, with VirtualBox or VMware or your virtualization system of choice um, to run the experiments. But the performance characteristics are going to be a bit harder for us to predict. So obviously, you know, the OS is going to run in a realistic way because it is really running. Um, but if you wanted to know how a particular benchmark would perform, uh, then it would depend on the host that it's running on and how busy it is. And also for the microarchitectural side, so using performance counters, uh, many virtualization systems don't support performance counters. And even if they do, uh, it'll depend on the specific underlying architecture. So it'll depend on the host system, uh, not just the virtualization system. And this makes it a little bit harder to do reproducible teaching for performance, and in particular, this microarchitectural aspect of our course. I think we'll see the material on both platforms continue to evolve. They're both good teaching styles, and they come with different trade-offs for cost and complexity. Uh, but I think on the academic side, we'll probably encourage people to use controlled platforms in the same way so they can get reproducible results and uh, teach in a box that what you don't want to have is lots of students all using very different computers to run performance measurements because it's very hard to tell if they're getting the results that you'd like to see. But we would uh, like to try and put images online and that might be something uh, we get to in the new year. Uh, another thing we've talked a bit about is uh, the uh, BeagleBone Black is a 32-bit ARM platform. It would be really nice to be able to teach uh, on a sort of higher-end system. BeagleBone Black has one core, you know, modest amount of memory. Uh, it would be quite interesting to turn to either a higher-end 32-bit ARM, like the Raspberry Pi 2, which would be multi-core, or maybe to an ARM V8 board as those begin to become more available. In all cases, the costs are you know, maybe modest in Western terms, which is to say, you know, $30, $50, uh, maybe $100 for a board, you know, begins to become more expensive as you shift to 50 students or 100 students. Uh, but in many places, those costs are quite high, and uh, using a much lower cost board would be interesting, or uh, using virtual machines might be another way to control those costs for students.
One of the reasons we wind up using virtual machines in the practitioner course is because with two days or even five days uh, to teach a course, you really don't want to spend the first half day uh, getting the hardware up and running and making sure it works on everybody's machine. If you tell people ahead of time, you know, download your particular favorite um, virtualization technology, and we, uh, you know, if they take the pre-produced uh, release engineering produced FreeBSD virtualization images, they can run any one of them. Uh, so when I taught the course at Asia BSDCon uh, in March of this year, all but one of the students showed up with, you know, uh, some version of the virtualization technology already in installed and, you know, had their images installed and they were ready to start with DTrace because DTrace is on by default uh, from FreeBSD 10 onwards. One student actually bought a cheap laptop in Akihabara just to run the thing on because he wanted to run it on real hardware. Uh, he, he was one of our star students. It was pretty amusing. But uh, the reason to use the virtualization technology, especially for the practitioner side, uh, is it's just a short amount of time and you need to get going as soon as possible. And for the practitioner course, the performance analysis component isn't quite as pronounced as being able to take people through the various parts of the system and you know, sort of explain to them the kinds of things they can start to analyze once they get back to work. Right? The idea is to give them a medium level uh, walkthrough of the system, but you know we're not going to sit and analyze uh, some of the things that Robert's students were able to analyze as you know do, doing their graduate work, uh, doing the advanced graduate, uh, graduate class. And so, how do we, I guess, inspire students to head down this path? You know, I, I imagine there's a lot of competition for mindshare. A lot of people, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people hear about Apple's Swift and might be interested in making the next Flappy Birds and a million dollars. So what kind of student and, and what kind of marketing do we do to get students interested in this very low-level, difficult, scientific stuff? I guess the first thing to observe is that although there is uh, an enormous marketplace for people building uh, apps and games and so on, there is actually quite a large marketplace still um, for people building low-level systems. All these high-level systems depend on kernel developers. You know, that market is increasing and not shrinking over time, even though universities are doing a less good job uh, at teaching those students and giving them the skills. As you transition intro teaching courses from C and C++ uh, to Java, other high-level languages, Python, and so on, um, you're equipping them better maybe to work with high-level algorithms, uh, object orientation, but you might be equipping them much less well to deal with low-level aspects of the system. Uh, I think we'll see university computer science courses trying to teach across a breadth of materials and a breadth of kinds of topics. And so I don't think there is a problem in terms of ensuring that there is some opportunity in the curriculum to teach these things. The trick is, as you say, uh, to capture their interest and their imaginations. And the way to do that is to make the work exciting and interesting, to have them learn new things that will be valuable to them in the long term, um, to have them work with real things uh, rather than toys in ways that are exciting. Uh, in our graduate program, uh, we're increasingly finding that courses focusing on low-level hardware software co-design, uh, looking at low-level operating systems, looking at compilers, uh, are very popular with the students because uh, they're technically challenging and they're very interesting. Uh, the challenge to professors in teaching this material is coming up with uh, well-formulated, well-constructed, uh, reproducible course material. You, know, you invest a lot of energy the first time you build a course, uh, and it's especially difficult to build courses based on advanced material, um, trying to structure it so that the results are reproducible and they can be taught in a classroom environment is really a lot of work. And that's just something where we can actually help Universities around the world do this by providing reference teaching material. I was sort of doing a back of envelope calculation on how much work it was to produce 
the current version of L41, our advanced operating system course. Um, and for the purposes of you know, an eight-week course, uh, we're talking preparation time of 700 to 800 hours of work. Um, normally, when preparing basic undergraduate lecture material, you know, you'd be talking you know, between eight and 16 hours per hour of talk time. Um, so that's substantially more uh, preparation time, and it's because of the lab nature of the teaching style. Uh, if we can distribute this material online and make it easy for other people to teach, I think we'll be successful in helping professors pick up the material and teach it themselves, um, but it will also make learning about it much more exciting um, across the world for students everywhere. So we'll definitely try to do that. If anything, it's an additional service to the community, I think. You know, I, I think about like Google Summer of Code you know, this is just another avenue for people who are developing computer operating systems to eventually replace themselves. You know, I, I was in a band in college that had been around for years and years and years. And when you entered the band, one of the rules was when you became a senior, your job was to find your replacement. So maybe another aspect to this is, uh, you know, the two of you may not be coding in FreeBSD forever, right? And uh, at some point, we need to get new blood in there, more kernel developers to keep moving the project forward. And that, that was definitely one of the goals of, you know, creating this material. And we certainly wanted to be able to educate graduate students, eventually undergraduate students and practitioners. But part of the goal of the material is to, you know, train people in these skills that are not always taught in school. Or perhaps if they are taught, not taught at the depth that we might prefer them to be taught. And this is definitely a, a recruiting tool for systems people because we need to have systems people if we're going to have working systems. I think there could be two kinds of community that we need to work with here. I mean, the first community is going to be uh, the community of educators and students, you know, self-taught or otherwise, uh, to try and promote the material, extend the material, improve the material, make it easier to teach with. And George's efforts to go and visit universities around the world to tell them about this approach uh, is very important to that. And likewise, uh, we'll be doing outreach from Cambridge to try and make this material more accessible and available. And Teach BSD is part of doing that. The second community, you're entirely right, is this broader community of uh, BSD developers and users around the world, we need to help grow that community. And it's interesting talking you know, with my FreeBSD Foundation hat to companies about FreeBSD. You know, one of the worries they have is, you know, where can I recruit kernel developers who are able to work with these low-level systems who understand the tools? You know, FreeBSD is a great low-level system and has amazing tools, but we need to teach people how to use them. Um, this means you know, having this course will help us produce uh, that audience of students who are excited about operating systems, but also have very useful skills in operating systems. I'd also like to think we are teaching differently. Uh, the students who come out of this course are going to have a visceral understanding of how you do performance analysis and functional analysis. One of the most important things a developer does when they arrive at their first job is try to understand the software that they're working with. And you know, I've been working now with FreeBSD you know, for 15 or 20 years. I feel like I'm only just beginning to understand you know, parts of the kernel design. Some bits, I'm an expert. But you know, the vast majority of it to be, is fairly opaque, and I use tools like Dtrace to help me understand it well enough to work with them and to learn about the system. Uh, those are really valuable skills to employers. They're also valuable skills if you're going to work with other kinds of software, not just operating systems. When you sit down with a large application program, you know, a web browser, an office suite, whatever it might be, uh, you need tracing tools and analysis tools to get up to speed with a large code base quickly. So I think we can use this as a community-building activity for the larger world of systems builders uh, in a very practical way, and hopefully we're already doing that. I guess around FreeBSD specifically, are you targeting a particular version of FreeBSD? You know, I'm thinking from the lecture standpoint, FreeBSD can advance pretty quickly, so 
Are you intending to have the materials pick a particular version of FreeBSD and generally stay with that, or are you going to be running against current? At least for the academic course, uh, we've been tracking current as vigorously as we can. And the reason is that as part of preparing the course, we've actually made a lot of improvements to FreeBSD. So one of the things we had to do uh, was make support for Dtrace on ARM v7 mature. Right? When we started working on the course, Dtrace worked pretty well on x86, but it didn't really work very well on ARM. Uh, and so we fixed that, and as part of that, uh, we tracked forward. We've also made a number of improvements to FreeBSD to support the BeagleBurn Blackboard better. Um, in terms of the course material, though, uh, it's a good question. So when you are teaching a set of skills for systems investigation analysis, what you're really teaching are a set of mindsets and methodologies, but also about the practical tools and the skills to use them. I think those will track forward across FreeBSD versions pretty well. We'll gradually extend Dtrace in various ways, add new functions. Uh, but on the whole, Dtrace is a relatively stable tracing and analysis tool. And so I think those skills will go forward across FreeBSD without really perturbing the teaching material very much. The other aspect of the lectures, of course, is talking about the implementations. Uh, and while FreeBSD moves very quickly, a lot of the lessons that you would teach, even at a graduate level, are going to apply across the versions. Uh, so there are things that have to do with the structure of uh, the network stack, for example, data flows and memory allocation, uh, scheduling, uh, behavior of caches, and so on. These are principles that probably are also pretty portable. Uh, the final aspect is going to be the lab exercises. And our experience is the labs will change uh, in terms of how they behave as, behave as FreeBSD changes and improves. Uh, for example, you might see performance change. Someone optimizes an aspect of the operating system. And from one year to the next, and we've seen this only you know, just teaching two years of the course, um, you can see an observable performance difference in how the system behaves. So, for example, uh, the introduction of SuperPage support on ARM is something that we can see directly in the benchmarks that we teach with. Uh, that's something where we're going to have to tolerate those changes. I think what we'll find uh, as we try to push to a larger community is that we'll recommend specific versions of FreeBSD for the exercises. But as a whole, the course material will track whatever the most recent version of FreeBSD is, and we'll try to have the teaching material uh, span the different FreeBSD versions as it needs to. And one of the reasons also to track current is not only do uh, improvements show up in FreeBSD, but for instance, one of the things that Robert and I have both been working on as we've developed the course, is adding more trace points, right? So there's, uh, you know, the sort of standard trace points that existed for a while in Dtrace and FreeBSD. Uh, but as the labs were created, we discovered that there were places where we wanted to know more about what was going on and that those things were generally applicable to the operating system. So, of course, they went into current. And those kinds of things then become useful when you wind up teaching the class again. So I, I think certainly from the practitioner standpoint, we're going to also wind up remaining pretty close to the head of the tree or as close as we can, uh, we can do it. So if students are excited to take this course on, at this point, is it primarily University of Cambridge and in person? Or you know, what are, what are the opportunities for students who might want to dive into this? There are really two teaching philosophies for the academic course, I think. One of them is going to have to be uh, lecture-driven, uh, prepared, structured delivery in a university setting or maybe a corporate setting where uh, the material is prepared and structured, is delivered with a set of labs that are done uh, within a structured lab environment. So students turn up to the labs and there are teaching assistants and so on, the way that we do it, whether at Cambridge or elsewhere. This is something we'd like to encourage other universities to do as well if they're interested in a course like this in uh, the teaching approaches and the material. And everyone will inevitably customize it a bit to whatever it is that they're teaching locally or their environment. Uh, that structured delivery is something where you're going to find it in a university setting. 
Um, the second way that it would be nice to do it for the academic course is to provide a, a version which people can take online, uh, you know, in the style of many of the online teaching environments, uh, maybe break the lectures down to shorter chunks so that you, uh, consumers can uh, click on a particular bit, play it again, make sure they understand the material, download the images, run them on local virtual machines or their own BeagleBone Black at their own pace. And we might find that the lab material also uh, needs to be changed a bit or we need to flesh out the set of accompanying material because the students won't have access to teaching assistants or maybe we'll provide online forums. Uh, that latter aspect is one I think we still need to grow and develop. But I think it will be a very useful thing to do. There's no reason why students shouldn't have access to the material, even though they're not in a university setting. Universities are valuable places to be. There are lots of good reasons to go do this in a university. But a lot of the ideas in what we're teaching are ones that people could do at home uh, in their own environment. So perhaps what we need to do uh, is grow a community around that as well. Uh, that's something we've not spent a lot of time developing at this point. Uh, but as the course matures, I mentioned this is the second teaching of L41 in Cambridge. You know, we've learned a lot doing this. Uh, we're refining uh, how we set up the exercises, uh, the teaching environment, the slides and lectures and so on. Um, that's something that providing online really is possible to do. And one of the other things I think is that, you know, for people who are listening to the podcast who might still be undergraduates uh, or interested is uh, one of the ways in which we think that this, uh, you know, program can actually grow is by having people at universities talking to their professors, telling them about the material. I mean, professors are, as Robert will, I'm sure, agree, constantly overworked. They have a great deal of, of work to do, and they'd be, they're often very happy to have help in developing their courses. So they're, you know, one of the reasons to put this material out there was, look, here's a full set of material that you can start, at least start with, you know, in developing your course. I expect there to be a lot of uptake from universities uh, as they become acquainted with the material simply because the material exists and certainly there are professors who are very interested in doing their own material for every class, but we know that there's going to be a lot of professors out there who are willing to take on this material who find the uh, new style of teaching to be really engaging. Uh, and so we expect there to be you know, more uptake within universities on this uh, and then in the outside environment, as Robert points out, as we produce more material that can be done on your own, we are very hopeful that people will pick it up on their own as well. Honestly, and we shouldn't underestimate you know, the excitement of the teaching approach in some ways. Tools like DTrace make the internals of these systems visible and accessible to relatively inexperienced programmers in a way that really wasn't possible before. So it's as though you're suddenly allowed to look under the hood and see how the engine works on a car or on a plane in a way that you couldn't have done uh, even 10 years ago. So this is an opportunity to open up these systems to a new generation of students. Uh, and I think professors will find the ideas exciting. Uh, you always want to have your course be engaging for students, and making it hands-on is a really good way to do that. Professors really should look around when they're designing courses and do. Uh, you want to produce a course that is up-to-date in terms of material that really learns from new teaching approaches. Whenever I prepare new teaching material, it will be a mistake not for me to go and see how other people teach the material, uh, look at the textbooks that are available. And so hopefully our material will become a resource for others who are trying to do the same thing in the future. So most of this material is available on teachbsd.org, which also links to GitHub. Uh, are there any other places where people might want to go, or is that the, the main place? I think I would encourage people to look at the material in two different ways, at least the academic material. I mean, the first is we have the version on GitHub, which is sort of the reference uh, development trunk where we'll push improvements as the slides and the exercises and so on improve, and we add new modules. Um, the second is the version of the course in situ in the way that we teach it at Cambridge, which is to say the course material pages and so on, because I think that will give, in some ways, a better sense of how it's put together and how a student 
would perceive the course. If you want to try and give this, give this stuff a try, uh, then you should probably go buy a BeagleBone Blackboard, order it, uh, take a look at our GitHub repository, uh, chat with us about how to bring it up, and let us know if you find that the material online is insufficient to get it running or if you run into problems. These are things we'd like to actively address. I think in the pretty near term, we'd like to finish pushing our changes to FreeBSD and the exercise and so on uh, into FreeBSD itself. You should really be able to grab off-the-shelf FreeBSD build it for BeagleBone Black or grab a pre-compiled image for BeagleBone Black from the FreeBSD project, install it on your device, install some packages for the uh, TeachBSD, uh, and just run you know, without any difficulty. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but that's something that should come together in the next few months with any luck. Okay, well, thank you both so much for taking some time to talk to me about TeachBSD. Most of it's over my head, but I'm sure for some of the listeners, this will be right up their alley. Thanks, Will. Thanks very much. Thank you. If you'd like to leave a comment or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 260.